Mrs. McKinty trial sensation. Murderer to hang. Read all about it. It is one of the great sadnesses of life that one can eat only three times a day. But one must never allow overindulgence in breakfast or lunch to detract from dinner. For dinner is the supreme meal of the day and its most sublime moment. I had dined well at the Vieux Grand Mère, but the rest of the evening yawned emptily ahead of me. McKinty trial! Verdict! If only my good friend Hastings were here. He never fails to exasperate me, and yet I miss him. I miss his incredulous, wide-eyed wonder, his open-mouthed appreciation of my talents, his stupendous astonishment when he at last perceives the truth that has been clear to me all along. McKinty trial! Verdict! Mon cher, cher ami, you never seem to understand that it is my weakness to show off. McKinty trial sensation! Read all about it! But he is far away in South America, and there is no one to appreciate my talents. It was too late for the theatres, and there was nothing to tempt me into any of the cinemas. Reluctantly, I made my way home to Whitehaven Mansions. Monsieur Poirot, I hope you still remember me after all this time. And to my great joy... There was my old friend and colleague, Superintendent Spence, sitting in an armchair, drinking a foaming tankard of ale poured out for him by the admirable George. The evening was saved. I'm taking an unpardonable liberty dropping in on you like this. No, but it is so kind of you to call in on an old acquaintance. I appreciate it more than I can say. There's rather more to it than that, I'm afraid. And if you send me away with a flea in my ear... I shan't be surprised. No, there will be no flea. What is it you want to ask me? It's about the McGinty case. You've read about it, perhaps. Not with any attention. An old woman murdered for her savings. How did she die? That takes me back. Funny, I never thought about it until this moment. I do not follow you. There was a game we used to play when we were kids. We stood in a row, and there were questions and answers down the line. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Down on one knee, just like I. And we'd all go down on one knee. Next question. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Holding her hand out, just like I. And we'd all be kneeling down with our right arms held out. Then, Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Like this. And the boy at the end of the row would deliver a hefty blow and we'd all go down like ninepins. That takes me back, that does. Yes, but how did she die? She was hit a savage blow on the back of the head with some sharp, heavy instrument. We never managed to find the actual weapon. Her room had been ransacked and about thirty pounds in cash had been stolen. She lived alone? There was a lodger, James Bentley. Ah, yes, I remember the name. There were no signs the place had been broken into. Bentley was hard up. He'd lost his job and owed two months' rent. The money was found hidden under a pile of stones in the garden at the back of the cottage. His coat sleeve had blood on it, Mrs. McGinty's blood. According to his first statement, he was never near the body.
So it couldn't have come there by accident. And he was arrested and put on trial? At Kilchester Assizes. The jury took only twenty minutes to reach a verdict of guilty, and he was sentenced to death. And you immediately got on the train and came straight to see me. Why? Because I don't think he did it. And why do you think that? I can't give you a reason. I dare say the jury thought he looked like a murderer. I didn't. And you know a great deal about murderers. He wasn't cocky. And in my experience, they usually are. What is he like, this James Bentley? Unprepossessing sort of chap. Can't look you straight in the face. Made a bad impression on the jury. Did he have a good counsel? The man he was allotted under the Poor Persons Defence Act put up the best show he could. So, according to the law of the land, James Bentley has nothing to complain of. If he's hanged for a murder he didn't commit, he'll have plenty to complain of. Very just observation. So what do you suggest? I suspect you've got a pretty good idea of what's coming. The Bentley case is closed, and I'm already investigating an embezzlement. I'm not a free man. And I am. You've got it. <laughs> Awful cheek, I know. But I can't think of any other way. Do not distress yourself. I have leisure. Too much leisure. And it will be a challenge to the little grey cells. If James Bentley is already condemned, there's no time to lose. When was the murder? November the 22nd, last year. Hmm. So, if Bentley did not kill Mrs. McGinty, who did? Well, that's the trouble. As far as I can see, there isn't anybody. Another bottle of beer, perhaps. I won't say no. But for every murder, there must be a motive. Did anyone profit by Mrs. McGinty's death? Well, she did have £200 in the savings bank. Her niece gets it. Her niece? A Mrs. Birch. Lives in the same village. Husband's employed in the building trade. She's a pleasant enough woman. Oh, yes, we knew that Auntie had a little something put by and we'd get it when she died. Not that we needed it, of course. We've got something put by ourselves, but that's not to say it won't come in handy. Your beer, Superintendent. Oh, thanks. Uh, cheers. Yeah. So, tell me about Mrs. McGinty herself. She was 64, a widow. Husband died seven years ago. Since then, she's been going out daily, doing cleaning and various domestic chores around the village. How long had she had a lodger? Early since her husband's death, Bentley used to live with his mother at Cullen Quay, about twelve miles down the road. When she died, he sold the house and got a job in Kilchester. Breather and Scuttle, rather a second-rate firm of estate agents. When they had to cut down their staff, he was the first to go. He couldn't get another job and his money ran out. He was two months behind with his rent, and Mrs. McGinty was beginning to get impatient. And did he know she had thirty pounds in the house? Oh, yes. She liked to keep money where she could lay her hands on it at any moment. It was under a loose floorboard in her bedroom. Bentley admitted he knew it was there. So, tell me about her death. It was on the night of November the 22nd. The police surgeon put the time of her death between 7 and 10 p.m. Most likely about 8.30. And where was James Bentley at the time? He said he was out walking. He did that most evenings after dark. I came back at about 9 o'clock. I had my own key. I went straight up to my bedroom, and I read for a bit, and went to sleep. I thought something must be wrong when I came down in the morning and found no breakfast ready. 
All the windows were closed and shuttered on the inside. There were no signs of any break-in. So, either Bentley must have killed her, or she admitted her murderer herself while Bentley was out. Exactly. We've eliminated the neighbours. The niece and her husband were out at the pictures in Kilchester. Everything pointed to Bentley, and there was blood on his sleeve. How did he account for that? Said he remembered brushing up against a butcher's stall the previous day. But, of course, it wasn't animal blood. So, did he continue with his story? Oh, no. You see, there was hair on the cuff as well. Mrs. McGinty's hair. So, he changed his tale. I went into the parlour when I came back from my walk. And she was lying there on the floor. I knelt down to touch her, just to make sure. And there was blood on the back of her head. I never could bear the sight of blood. I ran back up to my room and thought I was going to faint. I just lay there on my bed all night long. And in the morning, I couldn't bring myself to admit I knew she had been killed. And I hadn't done anything about it. Hmm. Not a very convincing story. And yet, you know, it might have been true. He was frightened that he might be suspected, and so the silly Juggins put himself into it, right up to his neck. Mm, it is possible. So, where am I to stay in this place? Um, wh what did you say the name was? Broad Hinney. Is there an inn there of moderate comfort? There's a three ducks, but it doesn't put people up. There's the lamb at Culhaven, three miles away, and then there's a kind of guest house in Broad Hinney itself, Long Meadows. It used to be the manor, been in the hands of the Summer Hayes family for generations. But they're reduced to taking in paying guests. I don't imagine it's very comfortable. Uh-huh. If I suffer, I suffer. So what kind of cover story are you going to prepare for yourself? Who are you going to be? I shall go as myself. But do you think that's wise? It is essential. It is time that we are up against. And what do we know? Nothing. So... My best hope is to arrive at Broadhinney pretending that I know a great deal. I am the great, the unique Hercule Poirot, and I am not satisfied with the verdict in the McGinty case, and I have a very shrewd suspicion of what actually happened. And then? Then I observe the reactions, and most definitely there will be reactions. Don't go sticking your neck out. I don't want anything to happen to you. But if it does, you would be proved right beyond the shadow of a doubt. Well, that may be. But I don't want your death on my hands. Just watch your step. Long Meadows was the closest I hope I will ever come to hell. The carpets were full of holes... There was thick dust on all the shelves. The springs protruded through the sofa. The dog had the mange, and the doors burst open with every gust of cold wind. Maury! The cat's been sick again! What the devil shall I do? I'm coming, darling! Hold everything! Maureen Summerhays had red hair had an attractive, freckled face. But it was clear that nature had not intended her to run a guest house. Johnny, why the hell did you leave the back door open? 
the hands have got into the larder and they've woken up the baby. Oh, sorry, Maureen. The latch is broken. It's time he woke up anyway. And for this I was paying seven guineas a week. That's why I left the beans. I've no idea where they got to. Mm -hmm. Would you mind frightfully, Mr. Um, I, I mean, would it bother you if I slice them in here? The smell in the kitchen's too frightful. Oh, madame, I should be enchanted. <laughs> I do hope you're not too frightfully uncomfortable here. If there's anything you want altered, don't hesitate to say. You are too kind, madame. I only wish it were within my powers to provide you with suitable domestics. Domestics? What a hope! We can't even get hold of a daily. Our only really good one was murdered, would you believe? Ah, that would be Mrs. McGinty. Yes, Mrs. McGinty. And I can't tell you how much I miss her. Of course, it was all quite a thrill at the time, first murder we've ever had in Broadhinny. But as I told Johnny, it was a downright bit of bad luck for us. Without Mrs. McGinty, I just can't cope. She was uh, reliable and uh, honest. You, you could trust her. Oh, she'd never pinch anything, if that's what you mean. Of course, she, she snooped a bit, had a look at one's letters and all that. But one expects that sort of thing. Maureen, that wretched dog's been at the hen's feet again. Oh, damn, now he'll be sick as well. Is this enough spinach, do you think? Of course not. Oh, it seems like a lossal amount to me. Could be about a teaspoonful when it's cooked. Has the fish come? No sign of it. Hell! We'll have to open a tin of something. Could you do that, Johnny? One of the ones in the corner cupboard. That one we thought was a bit bulged. I expect it's all right, really. What the devil's got into the knife? Oh, blast! The beans have gone all over the floor. Not my day. Uh, let me help you, madame. Oh, thanks awfully. They do look a bit black, don't they? I'm afraid they won't be very nice. Uh, you permit that I shut the door. There is a decided draft. That door never stays shut. The house has been falling to pieces for centuries. Johnny's parents could never afford to do anything about it. And when we came back from India to live here, we couldn't do anything about it either. I, I say, the fish will probably be here in a minute. I wonder if you'd mind forking out for the first week's rent... You are staying a week, aren't you? Perhaps longer. Sorry to bother you, but I haven't got any cash in the house. Oh, pray, no, do not apologise, madame. Here you are. Thanks a lot, Mr... My um... name is Poirot, madame. Hercule Poirot. What an unusual name. I am, as you may know, a detective. Perhaps the most famous detective in the world. <laughs> I see you're quite a joker, Mr Poirot. <laughs> what are you detecting? I am investigating the murder of Mrs. McGinty. But that's all over, surely. They arrested the lodger. I expect he's been hanged by now. He has not been hanged, and the case is far from over. I must have cut my hand somehow. I'm bleeding all over the beans. Still, it won't matter. They're going into boiling water. Things are always all right when you boil them, aren't they? Even tins. I think, madame... I shall not be in for lunch. Oh, really? Nothing seems to be going right today. But you'll be in tonight, won't you? I'm thinking of having a go at rabbit stew. It was time to set about my investigation. Mrs. Birch, Mrs. McGinty's niece, lived in a council house outside the village. It was neat and clean and smelt refreshingly of furniture polish and brasso. 
very unpleasant it's been having poor Auntie murdered and the police tramping round all over the place, ferreting about asking nasty questions with the neighbours all agog. I didn't think we'd ever live it down. I really did hope it was all over. And suppose James Bentley is innocent after all. Of course he's not innocent. He did it all right. I never liked the look of him. He's wandering about and talking to himself. But Auntie always insisted he was harmless and obliging and didn't give trouble. <laughs> she knows better now. Poor soul. Can you tell me a little about your aunt? What kind of person was she? I didn't see much of her, really. We used to go over for Sunday dinner once a month, or, or she'd come here. She always kept her house neat and tidy. And she went out cleaning, of course, round the village... One and tenpence an hour was what she charged, though some of the people round here can afford ten times that amount. And did she go out very much? Did she have many friends? She kept herself to herself. She went to church, but she didn't hold with any of the church activities. She used to go up to the pictures sometimes, but what she really enjoyed was her Sunday paper. After about an hour, I took my leave. It seemed most unlikely that Mrs. Birch would have struck her aunt down with a meat chopper, or whatever the weapon was. And so I caught the train into Kilchester, to call at the offices of Breather and Scuttle, the estate agents where James Bentley had once worked. Precious little I can tell you about him. Well, nothing against the chap, but he had no idea of salesmanship and therefore perfectly useless in this job. If a client comes to us with a house to sell, we're there to sell it for him. If a property is miles off the beaten track, we stress its charm and antiquity and don't mention the plumbing. And if a house looks straight out of the gasworks, we talk about the amenities and the facilities. Mm, I see that you are a judge of men, Mr Scuttle. Not too bad, not too bad. So tell me, uh, strictly between ourselves, do you think that James Bentley killed the old woman? Of course he did. And you think it was a likely thing for him to do, psychologically speaking? Well, if you put it like that, no, not really. I shouldn't have thought he'd have had the guts. Mind you, he was a bit balmy, always a bit soft in the head, and what with being out of a job and all that, he might just have gone over the edge. You had no special reason for discharging him? Bad time of year. We sacked the one who was the least competent. Gave him a good reference and all that. He didn't get another job, though. No pep. Made a bad impression on people. Excuse me. Do you mind if I sit down and talk to you for a moment? I would be delighted, mademoiselle. <laughs> you see, I couldn't help hearing what you were saying to Mr Scuttle. Ah, now, you were sitting at the typewriter to the right of the back window. Mm. Is Mr Bentley going to appeal? You see, I really couldn't believe he did it. I thought it must be a mistake, but then the evidence... Yes, mademoiselle? There simply didn't seem to be anyone else who could have done it. I thought perhaps he might have gone off his head. Did he ever show signs of being... Oh, um... no. He was just rather shy and a bit awkward. He didn't make the best of himself. You liked him? Yes, I did. He was gentle and polite. And he knew a lot, really. Things out of books, I mean. Ah, yes. Things out of books. And he missed his mother terribly. She'd been ill for years, apparently, and he'd done everything for her. You and he were friends? I wouldn't say that. We used to talk sometimes. But after he left, I didn't see much of him. I wrote to him once, but I didn't get an answer. But you liked him? Yes, I did. 
What is your name, mademoiselle? Maud Williams. Is there anything I can do to help? Yes, I think there is. There are those who believe, Miss Williams, that James Bentley is innocent. I am the person charged with the investigation, and I may tell you that I have already made considerable progress. Now tell me, did he ever mention anyone with whom he, or perhaps his mother, were on bad terms? No, never. His mother didn't like young women much, I gather. Oh, mothers of devoted sons rarely do. No, I mean more than that. Some family feud, some enmity, uh, someone with a grudge. No, he never mentioned anything of that kind. Did he ever speak of Mrs. McGinty? He used to complain she gave him kippers much too often. And once he said she was upset because her cat had died. Did he ever... And you must be honest with me, please. Mm -hmm. Did he ever mention that he knew where she kept her money? Actually, he did. We were talking about people being distrustful of banks, and he told me she used to keep her spare money under a floorboard. He said, I could help myself any day when she's out. Not quite as a joke. He didn't joke much. Ah, that is good. When James Bentley speaks of stealing, he thinks of it as something that is done behind someone's back. He might have said, someday someone will hit her over the head for it. I'd better be getting back. We're only supposed to take half an hour. It's a one-horse place, Kilchester. <laughs> I've always had jobs in London before. Oh, you'll let me know if there's anything I can do, won't you? Yes. Oh, and could you possibly let me have your phone number? So, at least there was one person who believed that James Bentley was innocent. I caught the train back to Broadhinney and went to inspect the scene of the crime. But the house Mrs. McGinty had kept so spotlessly clean was now dirty and uncared for. I called in at the house next door and at the other old cottages, but I could discover nothing that Superintendent Spence had not found. By then, my shoes were becoming uncomfortably tight, but I thought I should at least call in at the post office. That'll be four and tenpence altogether. Mm -hmm. Will there be anything more, sir? No, thank you. Now, I am by way of being a stranger in these parts. Uh, so I believe, sir. Come down from London, haven't you? I expect you know my business here as well as I do, madame. Oh, no, sir. I've really no idea. Mrs. McGinty. Ah, that was a sad business. Shocking business. I expect you knew her well. I certainly did. She'd always pass the time of day when she came in here for any little thing. Oh, yes. Terrible tragedy. And not settled yet, or so I've heard people say. There is a doubt in some quarters as to James Bentley's guilt. Well, wouldn't be the first time the police got hold of the wrong man. Oh, I wouldn't have thought they had in this case. Even so... It came as a bit of a surprise. A shy, awkward sort of fella, but you wouldn't think of him as dangerous. Might you never know, do you? Do you think he was the only person who could have done it? We do get some nasty tramps round here sometimes, and I suppose one of them might have found a window unfastened. But he wouldn't go leaving the money behind him, would he? Mrs. McGinty never spoke of being nervous or afraid of anyone. Not to me, she didn't. And she wasn't the nervous type. <laughs> She'd stay late sometimes at Mrs. Carpenter's. Uh, that's only 
on top of the L. Mm-hmm. They often had people to dinner, and Mrs. McKenzie would go there to do the washing up, and then she'd come back in the dark. Oh, that's more than I care to do. Very dark it is coming down that L. When did you see Mrs. McGinty last? Uh, must have been on the Monday. She came in to buy a bottle of ink. She wanted a bottle of ink? I expect she wanted to write a letter. Mm, that seems indicated. And uh, she was quite her normal self. She, she did not seem different in any way. It's funny you should say that. She looked as if she was pleased about something, almost excited. There was quite a sparkle in her eye. Three days before her death, Mrs. McGinty had bought a bottle of ink. Writing a letter was such an uncommon experience to her that she had to go out to buy a bottle of ink. But to whom had she written? I can't think of anybody. And she wasn't much of a one for writing letters. There were cards at Christmas, of course, and I suppose she might have written to her sister-in-law once upon a time, but she died two years ago. Can you remember whether there were any letters among her personal possessions? I don't remember any, but I packed up all her things in a suitcase. I didn't know what to do with them. I wonder if I might take a look at the contents of that suitcase. It's upstairs. I'll get it down for you if you like, but I don't think you'll find anything. The police went through it all. A brush and comb, a dented silver-backed mirror, a china dog, a, a Bible, and a pair of shoes wrapped in newspaper. The Sunday Comet for the 19th of November. And on the following day, Mrs. McGinty went out to buy herself a bottle of ink. Hmm. Women victims of bygone tragedies and some very blurred reproductions of old photographs. Eva Kane, the other woman in the Craig murder case. Janice Courtland, whose sadistic husband met a violent end. Lily Gamble, tragic child killer. Vera Blake, unsuspecting wife of a murderer. Where are these women now? And you think this may have had something to do with Mrs. McGinty's murder? It is possible, is it not? She reads the paper, she buys the bottle of ink, and three days later she is brutally murdered. So what are you suggesting? That she recognized one of these women's photographs and that woman killed her? That is exactly what I am suggesting. But if that's the case, that woman is probably still living in Broadhinney and would do anything to prevent anyone else recognizing her. I'll come down straight away. Mrs. McGinty had been murdered, apparently for a small sum of money, and her lodger, James Bentley, had been found guilty and sentenced to hang. But Superintendent Spence was not convinced, and asked me to go down to Broadhinney, where Mrs. McGinty had lived, to investigate the crime. I discovered that on the Sunday before her death, Mrs. McGinty had read a newspaper article about women who were associated with notorious murders. I believed that she had recognized one of the photographs in the paper, and that was why she had been killed. The superintendent was so concerned, he returned to Broadhinney straight away. Women victims of bygone tragedies. 
What's the first name on your list? Eva Kane. She had a passionate affair with the town clerk of Palminster, Alfred Craig, supposedly devoted to his wife and child. Another nondescript little man, I seem to recall. Married to an exceedingly tiresome wife. And Eva Kane was the young nursery governess. A pretty, trusting young girl, according to the Sunday Comet, seduced in her fragile youth by a cold-blooded murderer. The wife suffered from various minor ailments, most of them probably imaginary. Craig told everyone she'd been ordered abroad for her health, and he'd taken her to the south of France. And then returned home to lead a life of shameless sin with Eva Kane. A few months later... He told everyone his wife had died abroad. Unfortunately for him, he also told one of her friends the name of the place where she died. Somebody checked up on his story, and there was no record of her death. Mm. The police found her body in the cellar. Poisoned with some kind of vegetable alkaloid. And the unfortunate Miss Kane was charged as an accessory. But before he was hanged, Craig made a full confession, which put her in the clear. Just as well since the poor girl was pregnant. According to the Sunday Comet, kindly relations in the Dominions offered her a home. Changing her name, the pitiful young girl left these shores to begin a new life. So who's the next tragic victim? Janice Cortland, married to a man who was given to peculiar practices. But after eight years of martyrdom, it says... She made friends with a young man who walked in on some particularly nasty scene and knocked the husband into the fireplace. He broke his skull on the mantelpiece. He got off with five years for manslaughter. And she, like Eva Kane, went abroad to forget. Hmm. The next case is that of Lily Gamble, the tragic victim of an overcrowded age. Do you remember the case? Oh, I remember her all right. And she wasn't much of a tragic victim. There was no room for her at home, so she went to live with her aunt. Auntie wouldn't let her go to the pictures, so Lily sloshed her with a meat chopper. She was only twelve, so she was sent to an approved school. Hmm. By now, she is a free woman, free again to take her place in society. Her conduct during her years of confinement was exemplary. Does this not show it was not the child but the system that we must blame? I doubt whether poor old auntie would have agreed with that. Any more? Mm, there is one more. Vera Blake. Doesn't ring a bell. Remind me. She does not seem to have had much luck with her husbands. But then... A knight in shining armour appeared and took her and her children off to a new life in the new world. So, what's your theory? You think that Mrs. McGinty recognised one of these women living in Broadhini? Yes, and she wrote to the Sunday Comet. Well, she'd have had her work cut out to identify anyone from these photographs. But you could perhaps find better pictures of these women. Well, I'll do my best. Did the Sunday Comet come up with anything? Ah, they are sending me the original photographs. And I spoke to the woman who wrote the article, a Miss Horsfall. She remembered the letter from Mrs. McGinty. She said she knew where there was a picture of one of the women and wanted to know how much they would pay her for the information. So what did they say? In the words of Miss Horsfall, they told her there was nothing doing. 
and since Mrs. McGinty's handwriting was so bad, they sent their letter to Broadway rather than Broadhinney. So that was the end of that. Mm. But I'd better be getting back to my case of embezzlement. What's your next step? So far, I have confined my investigation to the circumstances of the murder. Now it is time to broaden my inquiry. I shall begin, I think, with the local doctor, a man called Rendell. Monsieur Hercule Poirot. Our quiet little village is honoured. What can I do for you? I'm devoured with curiosity to know what you're doing down here. Have we a crime in our midst? In the past tense, not the present. Uh, past? I don't remember... Mrs. McGinty. Of course. How quickly one forgets. But that's all over and done with, surely. If I mention this to you in confidence, I am employed by the defence to examine fresh evidence on which to lodge an appeal. But what fresh evidence can there be? Ah, that, alas, I am not at liberty to divulge. Oh, of course. <laughs> Please forgive me. I came to you because I understand that Mrs. McGinty was occasionally employed here. Yes, yes, she was. Would you care for a drink, Monsieur Poirot? Uh, sherry? Whiskey? Ah, sherry, if you please. Ah, excellent. She used to come in once or twice a week to do the cleaning. The work that our housekeeper can't do any longer. Getting down on her knees, that sort of thing. <laughs> she was an excellent worker, Mrs. McGinty. Tell me, Doctor, was Mrs. McGinty a truthful person? <laughs> truthful? What an odd question. I don't think I ever had the opportunity of knowing. If she made a statement to anyone, do you think that statement would probably be true? I have no idea. I could ask the housekeeper. Oh, no, no, no. It would be better not to do that. Oh, thank you, Doctor. You're arousing my curiosity. What was she going around saying? You must understand this is very hush-hush at the moment. I am only at the beginning of my investigation. Well, you'll have to hurry up if you're going to save Bentley from the gallows. <laughs> we were all quite sure he'd done it. There didn't seem any room for doubt. Just an ordinary crime, would you say? Yes. That just about sums it up. You knew James Bentley? Well, he came to see me professionally once or twice. Mostly imaginary ailments, coddled by his mother, I fancy. Though he's not the only case of that here. Is that so? Oh, yes. Mrs. Upwood positively dotes upon that son of hers. He's a clever fellow, of course. <laughs> but not as clever as he thinks. Bit of a budding playwright is young Robin. They have been here long? Uh, three or four years. Nobody has been in Broad Hinney very long. The original village was only a handful of cottages grouped around Long Meadows. You're staying there, I understand. Uh, I am. <laughs> They've neither of them got the foggiest notion of how to run a guest house. She used to live in India with servants running around all over the place. And he'll never make anything of the market garden business he's trying to set up. Uh, Maureen's a charming creature, but he's rather inclined to be moody. And has the devil of a temper. He gets it from his father. Old General Summer Hayes was a regular tartar. Perhaps it would have been better if the Major had stayed in the army. But I must not keep you from your patience, Doctor. Oh, there's still a few minutes before surgery starts. Oh. And it's so fascinating to have the chance of talking to a real professional. <laughs> My wife and I are terribly crime-minded. Do you read criminology, detective stories, or the Sunday papers? All three. <laughs> Do you descend as low as the Sunday comet? Oh, what would the weekend be without it? There was a curious article some time ago about women who had been involved in murder cases and how their lives had been ruined. Yes, I remember it. 
Women victims of bygone tragedies. <laughs> A lot of rubbish, really. Do you think so? Where are these women now? The article wanted to know. I bet they all kept their past pretty dark. Not that you'd recognize any of them from those photographs. Well, I must not detain you any longer, Doctor. You have been very kind. <sighs> not much help, I'm afraid. Oh, but you must meet my wife. She was immensely interested to hear you were down here. Uh, Sheila? Sheila? Come down here. There's somebody you simply must meet. But Mrs. Rendell gave me the impression that I was the last person on earth she would have wished to meet. Her pale blue eyes stared at me apprehensively. She stammered a few words and took the first opportunity to run off back upstairs. She'd never have forgiven me if she'd missed you. It has been a great pleasure, Monsieur Poirot. Do feel free to drop in whenever you wish. And so I made my way to the next house on my list. Hunter's Close, the home of the Weatherbys, was a solid, if neglected-looking Victorian mansion. I'm sorry to have taken so long to answer the door. Goodness only knows where the girls got to. Please come in. Thank you, mademoiselle. Uh, you are Miss Weatherby? My name is Deirdre Henderson. Mr. Weatherby is my stepfather. I am making inquiries about Mrs. McGinty. I believe she used to work here. She's dead? I know that. Is it about insurance or something? Oh, no, 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 no. It is not about the insurance. It is a question of fresh evidence. My name is Acule Poirot, and I am engaged by the defence to make inquiries on behalf of James Bentley. Oh, you mean it might have been someone else who killed her? It may well have been. But at the moment I am trying to find out more about Mrs. McGinty herself. Oh, what do you want to know? Well, to begin with, what did you yourself think of her? Oh, I don't know. Nothing in particular? Was she silent or talkative? Curious or did she keep things to herself? A nice woman or not a very nice woman? She certainly talked a lot. I didn't really like her very much. Perhaps you ought to come and see my mother. She's upstairs in her room. Mrs. Weatherby was a small woman lying on a sofa in a large airless room crowded with knick-knacks and Middle Eastern souvenirs. She had a box of chocolates by her side and a glass of orange juice. You must forgive my not getting up, Monsieur Poirot, but Dr. Rendell does insist on my taking a rest during the day, and everyone scolds me if I don't do what I'm told. He wants to know about Mrs. McGinty, Mother. Mrs. McGinty? Who was Mrs. McGinty? She used to work for us, Mother. You know, the one who was murdered. Oh, don't, darling. It was all so horrid. I couldn't sleep for weeks afterwards. So stupid to keep our money under the floor. But do please sit down, Monsieur Poirot. Uh, and... Deirdre, move the photo album and the Indian spice box and the little pincushion, dear. Very well, Mother. So that Monsieur Poirot has somewhere to sit. Thank you, madame. <clears throat> I'm devoured with curiosity. Dr. Rendell rang and told me we had a celebrated criminologist in our midst. I understand that Mrs. McGinty came to you every Wednesday, and it was on a Wednesday that she died. So had she been here on that day? I suppose so. 
Well, it's all so long ago. Did she say anything to you on that day? Anything special? Oh, that class of person always talks a lot. One doesn't really listen. And anyway, she couldn't tell she was going to be killed and robbed that night, could she? There is cause and effect. I don't see what you mean. Perhaps I do not see myself. Not yet. One works through darkness towards light. Do you take in the Sunday papers, Mrs. Weatherby? Of course. The Sunday Times and the Observer. Mrs. McGinty read the Sunday Comet. I'm not at all surprised. She would. It's all very upsetting. That horrible lodger of hers. Apparently he was quite an educated man, too. That makes it worse, doesn't it? Does it? Oh, yes. Such a brutal crime. A meat chopper. Disgusting. The police never found the weapon. They dragged the ponds. I saw them. Oh, don't be morbid, darling. You know I hate thinking of things like that. Did Mrs. McGinty... No. No more questions, please. It's bad for her. She can't even read detective stories. Oh, my apologies. I have only one excuse. A man is to be hanged in three weeks' time. If he did not do it... But of course he did it. Of course he did. I am not so sure... But thank you for answering my questions, madam. What do you mean you're not sure? I meant what I said, mademoiselle. You've upset my mother. She hates things like robbery and murders and violence. Hmm. It must have come as a great shock to her when a woman who actually worked for her here was killed. Oh, yes, it was. She couldn't bear to hear anything about it. And to make matters worse, we haven't been able to find anyone to take her place. Mrs. McGinty may have talked a lot, but she was a splendid worker. The girl we've got now is absolutely useless. But, of course, nothing is like what it used to be. And do you mind that so much, mademoiselle? I don't know. But it's different for my mother. She lives in the past a lot. She keeps all sorts of things to remind her. Old magazines, dozens of letters, old photographs. I can't understand it myself. I never keep anything. Mm. You look forwards, not back. I don't know that I look anywhere. I mean, today is usually enough, isn't it? The door opened, and a tall, pale, elderly man with a thin face and mean, pale little eyes came into the hall. My stepfather, Mr. Weatherby. This is Monsieur Poirot. Mr. Weatherby was clearly not impressed. He looked at me coldly and passed on. His only concern was that his luncheon was going to be late. There was an icy dislike in the look he gave his stepdaughter, and something like hatred in the eyes that stared back at him. I returned to Long Meadows for luncheon. Oh, it was a terrible mistake. And astute oxtail, watery potatoes, and what Mrs. Summerhays optimistically hoped might turn out to be pancakes. They were a lamentable failure. I left as quickly as I decently could and made my way up the hill towards Laburnum's, the home of the wealthy Mrs. Upward and of her son, the promising playwright Robin Upward. And then something suddenly struck me on the back of the head. It was an apple car and a curiously familiar face, crowned with untidy billows of grey hair, looked at me out of the car window. I'm so sorry. Did I hit you? Oh, most certainly. But 
surely. It is Mrs. Oliver, is it not? Oh, Monsieur Poirot. What a splendid surprise. Is this Laburnum? I believe so, madame. Then do you think you could help me out? I'm rather stiff after the long drive. Of course, madame. Oh, Lord, there goes my bag of apples. I fear they have fallen in the mud. Oh, well, never mind. I'm sure there will be plenty of apples down here. But what are you doing in Broad Hinney? After a murder, I suppose. Your supposition is quite correct, madame. I hope it's not my hostess, Mrs. Upward. No, it is not Mrs. Upward. I am about to call on her. Actually, it's her son I've come down here to see. Robin. He's supposed to be dramatizing a book of mine. Oh, my felicitation, madame. Everyone tells me he's very clever. If he's so clever, I don't see why he doesn't write a play of his own. Leave my poor Finn alone. Your Finn? Ah, yes, your detective, Sven Hjorsen. He's not even a Finn anymore. He's become a member of the Norwegian resistance movement. <laughs> uh, tell me about your murder, or whatever it is. No, it is not a very picturesque story. An old charwoman who was murdered and robbed five months ago, Mrs. McGinty. A young man was convicted and sentenced to death. And he didn't do it, but you know who did, and you're going to prove it. No, 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 you go too fast. I do not yet know who did it. And there is very little time for me to find out if I am to save this young man from the gallows. Men are so slow. I'll soon tell you who did it. A woman's intuition, that's what you need. Hello. Oh. Ariadne, is that you? Here I am, Robin. Don't worry, I'll be very discreet. No, 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 madame, I do not wish you to be discreet. I want everyone to know who I am. Ariadne, oh. my precious. Oh. Well, how clever of you to find your way here. I can't tell you how happy I am to see you. I've had the most marvellous idea for the second act. Have you? Uh, Robin, this is Hercule uh, Poirot. Splendid. Come on in and have a drink, both of you, and meet the madre. Laura Upward was sitting in a wheeled chair by the fireplace, a vigorous-looking woman with iron-grey hair, a determined chin, and lively, intelligent eyes. It's such a pleasure to meet you, Mrs. Oliver. Um, I expect you hate people talking about your books, but they've been an enormous solace to me for years, and especially since I've been a cripple. <laughs> Uh, that's very nice of you. Uh, may I introduce Hercule Poirot, an old friend of mine? We met by chance just outside your house. Actually, I hit him with an apple core. Rather like William Tell, <laughs> only the other way round. <laughs> How do you do, Monsieur Poirot? Madame. Uh, Robin, get some drinks, will you? Of course, madame. Are you a writer too, Monsieur Poirot? Oh, no, he's a detective. The Sherlock Holmes kind. And he's come here to solve a murder. So, Maureen Summerhays was right. She told me some long rigmarole about having a detective staying in the house. She seemed to think it was frightfully funny, but it's quite serious, is it? Of course it's serious. You've got a murderer in your midst. But who's being murdered? Or is it somebody that's been dug up and it's all frightfully hush-hush? Oh, no, it is not in the least hush-hush. Some charlady who was murdered last autumn. But that's all over. I thought it was something new. Oh, it's not over at all. They arrested the wrong man, and he'll be hanged if Monsieur Poirot doesn't find the real murderer in time. Is this really true? Or is this a joke? No, it is not a joke, madame. White lady for you, madre. Oh, thank you, dear boy. And a glass of sherry for you, Ariadne, darling. <laughs> is sherry all right for you, Monsieur Poirot? Thank you, Mr. Upward. Well, 
Here's to crime. Oh, <laughs> to crime. Mm. <laughs> she used to work here, you know. Mrs. McGinty? Yes, didn't she, Madre? Well, she came one day a week. What was she like? Terribly respectable and maddeningly tidy. She had a ghastly way of clearing up everything and putting things into drawers. <laughs> Which is just as well. Uh, if somebody didn't clear things away at least once a week, we shouldn't be able to move. I know, Madre, I know. But as I've explained a thousand times, unless things are left where I put them, I simply can't work at all. My notes get all disarranged. So annoying to be as helpless as I am. I long to be able to do things for myself. What is it? Arthritis? Some form of it. I shall have to have a permanent nurse companion soon, I'm afraid. And I hate having to depend on people. Oh, now, darling, don't get yourself all worked up. Robin's as good as a daughter to me, Mrs. Oliver. Oh, yes, I'm sure. He does everything and thinks of everything. No one could be more considerate. Madre. After a little while, I made my excuses and left. My last call of the day was at the house of Mr. and Mrs. Carpenter. It was evident that a good deal of money had been spent on it, for Mr. Carpenter was extremely rich and had hopes of becoming the local member of Parliament. Mr. and Mrs. Carpenter are not at home, sir. Evidently, he suspected that I was hoping to sell them something, and so I made my way round to the garden, where I encountered a tall young woman in a mink coat, with platinum blonde hair and eyes the colour of cornflower blue. What the hell do you want? I was hoping to see Mr. or Mrs. Carpenter. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mrs. Carpenter? I am Mrs. Carpenter. Ah, my name is Hercule Poirot. Yes? I wish to ask you a few questions concerning a domestic matter. We've got a hoover, thank you. Oh, no, no, madame, you misunderstand me. Oh, you mean one of those stupid household questionnaires? Uh, no, madame, the questions I have to ask you relate to a Mrs. McGinty who died was killed last November. Mrs. McGinty? I don't know who you mean. You do not remember her murder? Or is murder so common in Brodini that you did not even notice it? Oh, the murder, yes, of course. I'd quite forgotten what the old lady's name was. Although she worked for you in this house? She didn't. I wasn't living here then. Mr. Carpenter and I were only married three months ago. But she did work for you. On Friday mornings, I think it was. You were then Mrs. Selkirk, and living at Horace Cottage. If you know the answers to everything, I don't see why you need to ask questions. Anyway, what is this all about? I am conducting an investigation into the circumstances of Mrs. McGinty's murder. Why? What on earth for? And why have you come to us? You might know something that might help me. I don't know anything at all. Why should I? She was only a stupid old charwoman who somebody robbed and murdered. It was quite beastly, like the things you read about in the Sunday papers. Ah, yes. Like the stories in the Sunday Comet. Do you read the Sunday Comet, Madame? I can't stand any more of this. Guy! Guy, help me, for goodness sake! Guy! But she could not manage to find her way through the French windows back into the house. I was reminded of a beautiful moth battering itself vainly against a pane of glass. What on earth's the matter, darling? This man here, he's a foreigner. He's just walked in here and started asking me all sorts of horrid questions about that murder last year. The old charwoman, you know I hate things like that. 
What do you mean by barging onto our property and annoying my wife? Oh, the last thing I should wish is to annoy so charming a lady. I hoped only that since the deceased woman used to work for your wife, she might be able to assist me in my investigation. What investigation? The case is over and done with, sure. Oh, no, no, there you are in error, Mr. Carpenter. It is far from over and done with. But you're nothing to do with the police, are you? No, that is correct. I am working independently of the police. He's something to do with the press. He mentioned the Sunday Comet. The Sunday Comet? I don't often get around to reading that, I'm afraid. Please understand that my wife is very sensitive. I'm sure it can't be necessary for you to question her about this. After all, she hardly knew the woman. She was only a stupid old charwoman. I told him so. And she was a frightful liar, too. Ah, now that is most interesting. So, Mrs. McGinty told lies. Hmm, that may give me a very valuable lead. Well, I don't see how. What lies did she tell, madam? Stupid things about people. Things that couldn't possibly be true. I see. She had a dangerous tongue. No, 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 no. I didn't mean as much as that. She wasn't in the least bit dangerous. She was just a silly gossip, that's all. Just a gossip. Mm-hmm. Well, I regret if I have caused Madame any pain. These affairs are always rather unpleasant. The whole business was most distressing. Naturally, my wife doesn't like to be reminded of it. I'm sorry we can't help you with any more information, Mr... My name is Hercule Poirot. Oh, yes. Well, goodbye, Mr. Poirot. As I walked down the long drive, I could not forget the image of Mrs. Carpenter trying to find her way through the French windows. She must have been severely short-sighted, but too vain to wear spectacles. And then I remembered the photograph in the Sunday Comet of the schoolgirl with thick, ugly lenses in her glasses. Was it possible that Mrs. Carpenter, with her platinum hair and cornflower blue eyes, was the child who had savagely murdered her aunt? Could she be Lily Gamble? An old charwoman, Mrs. McGinty, had been savagely murdered for a paltry sum of money. Her lodger, James Bentley, had been convicted of the crime and sentenced to death. But Superintendent Spence was not convinced of his guilt and asked me to go down to Broadhinney, the village where she had lived, to investigate further. I became certain that the murder was linked to an article in a Sunday paper about women who had been involved in notorious murder cases. I suspected that one of them might be living in Broadhinney and I had asked the superintendent to find out more about them. I managed to get hold of a few more photographs, but uh, they're not much of an improvement. The hairstyles don't help. Just look at Vera Blake. Mm, I think we can probably eliminate Vera Blake. You're probably right. If she'd come back from abroad, everybody in Broad Hinney would soon have heard about it. Telling the sad story of her life seems to have been her speciality. Do you have any more information about the others? Eva Kane. I found the name she took when she left the country after Craig was sentenced to death. It was hope. Symbolic, do you think? Perhaps she liked poetry. Beautiful Evelyn Hope is dead. Was her name Evelyn, in fact? It was, but nobody seems to have called her anything but Eva. The Sunday Comet made her out to be a wide-eyed, innocent, 
who never suspected that Craig had murdered his wife. But I've been going through the file, and police opinion was very different. Inspector Trail, uh, he was my old chief when I joined the force, thought that putting Mrs. Craig out of the way was her idea. She might even have done it. She murdered Mrs. Craig? What made him think that? Trail reckoned that Craig came home from work one day and found that pretty little Miss Kane had taken a shortcut. I dare say she thought it might be passed off as accidental death. But Craig got the wind up, buried the body in the cellar, and told everyone his wife had gone abroad for her health. Of course, when it all came out, he swore blind the girl had nothing to do with it, as she was a very clever little actress. And she was carrying Craig's child? That's right. So, she was not a tragic victim, but a murderess. And if the incentive was strong enough, she might kill again. And what about the child, Lily Gamble? She was too young to be charged with murder. They packed her off to an approved school where she did quite well for herself. Last heard of, somewhere in Ireland. I'd have thought we could rule her out. I think not. You have forgotten the weapon with which Mrs. McGinty was killed, my friend. But we never found it. I told you, surely. But it was something like a meat chopper. And that was the weapon with which Lily Gamble struck down her aunt. Oh, I see what you mean. So tell me, what are the possibilities of any of these women living in Broadhinney? And if Eva Kane is still alive, she would be about sixty, and her daughter... How do we know it was a daughter? The Sandy Comet said so. Her daughter would be about thirty. So how does that square with the women Mrs. McGinty worked for? As far as age goes, Mrs. Weatherby would be about right for Eva Kane, and her daughter, by a previous marriage to a Mr. Henderson, would also be the right age. And I will tell you this. Mrs. Weatherby has been most decidedly a pretty woman. She seems much too frightened and helpless to commit a murder, but... But that's what they said about Eva Kane. Any other possibilities? Mrs. Upward is the right age... But she suffers from arthritis and spends most of her time in a wheeled chair. In a book, of course, she would almost certainly turn out to be the murderer. Oh, yes. And the wheeled chair business would be a phony. <laughs> but I agree, she's pretty unlikely. Any candidates for Lily Gamble? Well, there are three women in their early thirties. Deirdre Henderson, Sheila Rendell, the doctor's wife, and Mrs. Carpenter. And I will tell you this, my friend. Mrs. Carpenter is afraid of something. I went to see her yesterday, and I happened to mention the Sunday Comet. Instantly she ran back to the house to call her husband, but she could not find her way through the French windows. She reminded me of a lovely fluttering moth, unable to see where she was going with those beautiful blue eyes of hers. <laughs> a proper romantic, that's what you are, Poirot. Beautiful blue eyes, indeed. No, 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 no. I do not allow myself to be deceived by sentiment like my good friend Hastings. Let me tell you this. If a woman's claim to beauty depends on the loveliness of her eyes, no matter how short-sighted she is, she will not wear glasses. Now look at the photograph of Lily Gamble. Look at those thick, ugly spectacles. So you think Mrs. Carpenter may be Lily Gamble? I only suggest it as a possibility. At the time of Mrs. McGinty's death, Mrs. Carpenter was Mrs. Selkirk, a war widow, very badly off. She would have done anything to suppress the evidence of her past in order to marry the wealthy Mr. Carpenter. It's possible, I suppose. 
but it's all just conjecture. I agree, my friend, and the field is still wide open. Suppose that it is Mrs. Upward who is Eva Kane. She is stricken with arthritis, but she has the determination and willpower to overcome her disability, and she dotes upon her son. She might kill to prevent him finding out the truth. I thought Eva Kane was supposed to have had a daughter. And in any case, would the truth upset Robin Upward very much? Probably not. <laughs> he might even capitalize on it. Famous playwright, the son of a notorious murderer. Ah, but there are so many possibilities. So many possibilities, Monsieur Poirot, and so little time. Every minute we spend chewing over who might be who is one minute nearer the gallows for James Bentley. I waited at the station at Kilchester for the train to take me back to Brodhini. It was market day, and the platform was very crowded. And then someone pushed me violently in the small of the back, and if the man beside me had not caught hold of me, I would assuredly have fallen in front of the incoming train. Are you all right? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I am most grateful. Well, what happened? Did you have a dizzy spell? Spence? Listen, my friend. I have news for you. Splendid news. Somebody has tried to kill me. Kill you? How do you mean? At the station. As the train was coming into the platform, somebody tried to push me in front of it. I thought something like this might happen. Are you all right? Perfectly all right, but it was a very near thing. Did you see who did it? No, I have no idea who it was, but be assured, my friend, I shall find out. It can only be somebody I interviewed in Trotini. So, now we know we are on the right track. What we need, Ariadne, is to get more sex into it. I beg your pardon? But it needs pepping up a bit. You see, after Sven's parachuted down... But he's 60! Well, he can't be. I don't see him like that at all. Late 30s at the very most. I've been writing books about Sven Hjersen for 30 years, and he was 35 when I started. If he's 60, we can't possibly develop the sexual antagonism between him and Ingrid. It would just make him a dirty old man. Yes, well, Sven Hjersen never cared for women much anyway. But we can't let him be a pansy, darling. It's not that kind of play. It's mystery and excitement and good, clean, open-air fun. I think I could do with a bit of open air myself. I'm going out for a walk. Oh, shall I come with you, darling? No. I'll be perfectly all right on my own, thanks. In that case, I'll go and whip up an eggnog for Madre. The poor darling's feeling a teeny-weeny bit left out of things. She does like a bit of attention, you know. Oh, oh and um, while you're out, think about that scene in the cellar. You need to have a bit more of a frisson, don't you agree? <sighs> but the whole thing is really going to be tremendously exciting, so long as you feel happy about it, darling. <sighs> it's all that matters. <sighs> Three pounds of apples. A bit over three, is that all right? Perfectly all right. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And Fortune's change. You'll be the lady from London who writes the detective stories. That's right. We've got three of them on the stand there. Very popular they are. Ooh. The Affair of the Seven Goldfish. Well, that wasn't at all bad. 
The cat it was that died. Uh, I came rather a cropper over that one. I made a terrible howler about a blowpipe. <laughs> a man wrote from a museum to correct me. Oh, I reckon some people only read books hoping to find mistakes in them. <laughs> you had a murder of your own down here, didn't you? Yes, last November. Almost next door, you might say. You're staying at the Burnhams, aren't you? Yes, with Mrs. Upward. <laughs> Must be a terrible trial for the poor soul. Confined to that invalid chair all the time. Oh, she can get about when she wants to. Or so I've heard. She likes to make people put themselves out for her. Particularly that son of hers. Oh, good morning, Miss Anderson. Warm morning. for the time of year, isn't it? Yes, it is, rather. Means the fruit blossom will get nipped later. Uh, what can I do for you? I'd like a five-shilling book of stamps, please. Yes, certainly. How's Mrs. Weatherby keeping? Pretty well, thank you. She hasn't been out much, though. Well, there's a good picture on in Kilchester this week. You ought to go. I did think of going last night, but Mother didn't want to be left on her own. It's Betty Grable next week. I'm out of five-shilling books. Well, oh. two half-crown ones, too. Oh, uh, yes, yes, that's perfectly right. <sighs> thank you. I'd better be off. Bye. Bye. Oh, uh, I'd better be on my way, too. Um, thank you very much, Mrs. Sweetman. A pleasure, ma'am. Uh, I say, I, I, I wonder if you can help me. Uh, yes. I want to get back to Laburnum's, and I've rather lost my bearings. Oh, it, it's quite easy, really. Uh, take the next road to your right, and... Follow it up the hill. Oh, of course. <laughs> so stupid of me. You're Ariadne Oliver, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Robin told us you were coming. I must tell you, I really do enjoy your books. Oh, thank you. I'm really very glad. I haven't read as many as I'd like because we only get our books sent from the Times Book Club and Mother doesn't like detective stories. She's a bit of an invalid and, and frightfully sensitive and they keep her awake at nights, but... I like a good murder. <laughs> Mrs. Sweetman was telling me about the murder you had down here last year. Which house was it? Uh, one of those cottages. Yeah, that one. That one there. It doesn't look like a house where there's been a murder, does it? <laughs> I suppose not. It was an old charwoman, wasn't it? Somebody robbed her of her savings. And she had some money under the floor. They said her lodger had done it, James Bentley, but... Now, there seems to be some doubt about it. There's a, a funny little man down here. French, I think he is. Belgian, actually. Hercule Poirot. I know all about him. Is he really a detective? Oh, yes. He's quite celebrated and frightfully clever. Then perhaps he'll find out that James Bentley didn't do it after all. I hope he does. What makes you say that? Because I never believed he could have done a thing like that. Did you know him? No, not really. My dog got his foot caught in a trap once, and he got him free. What was he like? He was dreadfully lonely. His mother had just died, and he was very fond of her. And are you very fond of yours? Yes, I am. That's what helped me to understand what he felt. Mother and I, well, we've just got one another, you see. I thought somebody told me you had a stepfather. Oh, yes, I've got a stepfather, all right. But, of course, it's not the same thing as one's own father. My father died before I was born, and mother married Mr. Weatherby when I was four years old. I've never liked him. He doesn't show my mother the least sympathy or understanding. 
But I don't know why I'm telling you all this. I must go. The German girl we've got is absolutely hopeless. I'm sure she won't have given Mother her lunch. <laughs> Bye. Well, at least that's one person I can cross off my list. Not Deirdre Henderson. More apples, Ariadne. I've never oh. known anyone with such a passion for apples. I need them to keep body and soul together. This is Eve Carpenter, Ariadne. Her husband is going to be our next MP. The present one is quite gaga, poor old man. Robin, you mustn't invent such terrible lies. I'm so glad to meet you, Mrs. Oliver. I was hoping you could come round for drinks this evening. Well, It's a special party for you, Ariadne. You know, meet the Queen of Crime. We're all so terribly thrilled to have you here. Can't you make Broadhinny the scene of your next murder mystery? Who shall we have as the victim? Who is your present charwoman? Oh, no, we don't want anything like that. I think Eve would make a much better corpse, strangled with her own nylon stockings. I think it would be better if you were to be murdered, Robin. The famous playwright stabbed to death in his country cottage. But who would the murderer be? What about the madre? Using her wheeled chair so there wouldn't be any footprints. Oh, but she'd never want to harm you, Robin. No. Perhaps you're right. As a matter of fact, I was thinking of her strangling you. She wouldn't mind doing that. But I want you to be the victim. And I've got the perfect murderer, Deirdre Henderson, the plain repressed girl who nobody notices. Well, there you are, Ariadne. The whole plot of your next novel presented to you on a plate. Uh, do you think you could persuade your friend, Mr. Poirot, to come along to my party as well, Mrs. Oliver? You see, I'm a bit worried about inviting him myself. Because uh, I was rather rude to him yesterday. I had no idea he was a famous detective. Oh, I'm sure he'd love to come. I wouldn't have thought he'd turn down the opportunity to observe the leading lights of Broad Hinney letting their hair down. It could be the turning point of his investigation. The gin flowed freely, and under its influence, an intriguing transformation took place. Mrs. Carpenter became rather arch and flirtatious. I'm sure you must have thought I was quite frightful, Mr. Poirot. You see, at first I thought you were some kind of salesman. And then I became quite convinced you were going to try and whip up some kind of scandal for the Sunday Comet. <laughs> Dr. Rendell glowed with self-satisfaction, and his wife was positively affable. I do adore your books, Mrs. Oliver. Where do you get all your story ideas from? Does Monsieur Poirot supply you with details of his case histories? For a while, Mrs. Oliver and I were each the center of an admiring circle, but we soon ceased to be a novelty. The conversation changed from crime to scandal. Old friends got together to tell one another the intrigues and infidelities of Broadhinney, and Mrs. Oliver and I were left to our own devices. Come out onto the terrace. I want to tell you. So what is it, madame? Dr. Rendell. What about Dr. Rendell? He's the murderer. You are sure of that? Certainly. My intuition never lets me down. He's just the type. Hearty and genial with his smile always firmly in place. And what would you say was his motive? Unprofessional conduct. And Mrs. McGinty got to know about it. Whatever the reason was, you can be sure it was him. Yesterday afternoon, somebody tried to push me onto the railway line at Kilchester Station. But you mean somebody tried to kill you? I have no doubt that was the general idea. 
settles it. Dr. Rendell was out on case. I know he was. And Mr. and Mrs. Carpenter were both in Kilchester at that time and came home separately. Mrs. Rendell says she was at home listening to the radio, but who knows? Well, I think I can vouch for our lot. Robin, his mother, and I were playing poker patience. And Mrs. Summer Hayes was cooking my supper. Oh, it was execrable. But then, so is everything at Long Meadows. The draughts, the upset stomachs of the cats, the smell of the pigs, the tepid water in the bathroom, and the coffee. Oh, words cannot describe the fluid they serve as coffee. It is an affront to the stomach. But she seems an awfully nice woman. Oh, yes, she is utterly charming. That's what makes it so difficult. Shh, 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 she's gone. Oh. I think I'm a tiny bit tiddly. Oh. oh, such a lot of lovely gin. I do like parties, and this one is entirely due to you two. We don't often have celebrities in broad hinny. I do wish I could write books like you, Mrs. Oliver. The trouble with me is that I can't do anything properly. You are a good wife and mother, madame. Am I? I love them all terribly, but is that enough? If you will not think me presumptuous, madame... A wife who truly loves her husband should take care of his stomach. It is important, the stomach. Really? I never think it matters much what one eats. Oh, or, or, or what one wears, or what one does with one's hair. Really? I don't think anything matters except happiness. I read a really stupid letter in the paper the other day. Some woman wanted to know which it was best to do. To let your child be adopted by someone who could give it every advantage, a good education, clothes, holidays, that sort of thing, or to let the child stay in the family no matter how badly off they were. And what did you think? Give a child a real home and lots of love and plenty to eat. That's all that matters. I ought to know. I was an adopted child. I had every advantage, like that woman says, and I was utterly miserable. It's always hurt. Always. To know that you weren't really wanted and that your mother could let you go. Perhaps it was a sacrifice for your good, madame. I don't think that's ever true. I wouldn't give up my children, not for all the so-called advantages in the world. <laughs> oh, so that's where you've got to. You're all looking terribly serious. May I ask what you're talking about? Adoption. I don't like being adopted, do you? Well, it's much better than being an orphan, don't you think, darling? I hate to tear Ariadne away, but we really ought to be going. The Madre was so looking forward to coming to the party, but her leg was playing her up particularly badly this evening, so she had to stay at home. I thought we might take a few friends back for a nightcap, just so she doesn't feel she's missed out too much. Oh, what a lovely idea. And so we all made our way up the hill to Laburnum's, where another bottle of gin was opened, and the company became even more animated. It really is so kind of you all. Since I couldn't come to the party, Robin has brought the party back to me. Now, tell me all about it. Will the Weatherbys there? Uh, no, Mrs. Weatherby didn't feel well enough. And that dim Henderson girl wouldn't come without her. She really is rather peculiar, isn't she? It's almost pathological, isn't it? I blame that mother of hers. Some mothers almost seem to eat their young, don't they? Do I devour you, Robin? Madre, of course you don't. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean... 
Everyone seemed rather embarrassed by the turn the conversation had taken, and Mrs. Randall decided to change the subject by cross-questioning me about my investigation, and soon everybody began to join in. Tell us all what you've been finding out, Monsieur Poirot. And if that dreary lodger of hers didn't kill her, who did? He used to mutter to himself all the time, wandering about in the lanes. He really did look very strange. You must have some reason to think he didn't kill her, Mr. Poirot. Did the police miss out on something? Was it a tramp or somebody who did it? Or was it a person living in Broad Hill? Don't embarrass the poor man. He probably suspects one of us. Well, in that case, let's find out what we were all doing on the night of the murder. When was it exactly? November the 22nd. Gracious, I don't know. Nobody could know after all this time. Well, I know, because I was doing a broadcast that night. I drove over to Coalport to give a talk on John Galsworthy, and I remember I discussed the role of the charwoman in the silver box. And the next day, I heard about Mrs McGinty, and I wondered if the charwoman in the play had been like her. Of course I remember now. Your mother said she would be all alone because it was Janet's night off. And I came over here after dinner to keep her company. Only, unfortunately, I couldn't make her here. Yes, I'd gone to bed early with a frightful headache and locked all the doors. And I wouldn't have heard you because my bedroom faces the back garden. And the following morning, I kept wondering why Mrs McGinty was so late. It wasn't like her at all. Oh, horrible, really, isn't it? But you haven't told us how your investigation is going, Mr Poirot. If you can't tell us who did it, you might at least give us a clue. Oh, yes, that's it. <laughs> give us a clue. You want a clue? Now, take a look at these. Oh, what a ghastly-looking horse. Just look at that hat and those frightful glasses. Is one of these photographs supposed to be the murderer, Monsieur Poirot? Who on earth are they? You do not recognize any of them? You do not remember ever seeing any of these faces before? Yes, I think I do. Which of them, Mrs. Upward? That one. <laughs> the ghastly child with the pebble glasses. And you have seen that photograph before? Where? I can't remember exactly where, but I'm sure I've seen a face just like that quite recently. The photograph was that of Lily Gambon. And after that, the party broke up and everyone set off back home. I began to follow them down the drive, but as I reached the gate, something made me turn back. Should I have thrown those photographs on the table? Had the drink gone to my head as it had to everyone else's? But you must remember, darling, it's a play, not a book, and we've got to have some glamour. From an open window, I could hear the voice of Robin upward with occasional protest from Mrs. Oliver. I went back into the house... Mrs. Upward was sitting alone before the fire with a rather grim look on her face. Oh, Monsieur Poirot, you quite startled me. I am sorry, madame. Did you think it was someone else? Did you leave something behind? What I feared I had left, madame, was danger. Danger? Danger, perhaps, to you, because you recognized one of those photographs. I wouldn't say recognized. All these old pictures look exactly alike. Now, listen to me, madame. I believe that Mrs. McGinty also recognized one of those photographs. And Mrs. McGinty 
is dead. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Sticking her neck out, just like I. If you know anything, anything at all, it would be safer to tell me now. My dear man, I'm not at all sure that I know anything. Certainly nothing so definite as a fact. But it's no, it's no good. It... You're rushing me, Monsieur Poirot. I'm not that sort of person. I have a mind of my own, and I take time to make it up. When I come to a decision, I will act, but not before I am ready. You are in many ways a secretive person, Mrs. Upward. Perhaps up to a point. Knowledge is power. Power must only be used to the right end. And you'll excuse my saying that you don't perhaps appreciate the patterns of our English country life. In other words, I am only a damned foreigner. I shouldn't be so rude as that. If you do not want to talk to me, there is always Superintendent Spence. No, Monsieur Poirot, not the police. Not at this stage. Very well, then. You are determined to play a lone hand. But I have warned you, and do not forget what I have said. Mrs. McGinty looked at those photographs, and I believe she recognized one of them. And she paid for that with her life. Mrs. McGinty had been killed by a savage blow to the head. I was convinced that the reason for her death was that she had identified a photograph in a Sunday paper about women who had been closely associated with murder. Was one of these women living now in Brotini, the same village as Mrs. McGinty? But then, at a party at which most of my suspects were present, Mrs. Upward had also identified one of the photographs. Was she in danger of sharing Mrs. McGinty's fate? Monsieur Poirot? Oh, oh, oh pardon, Mrs. Randall. You quite made me jump. I hope I'm not disturbing you. No, oh, no, no. The day is fine, and uh, I am enjoying the delights of spring. The gentle sunshine, the song of the birds. I suppose that when you're investigating something, you always have to have a pretext. A pretext, madame? To explain your being here and asking questions. Mm, it is sometimes expedient. Why are you really here in Brotini, Monsieur Poirot? But, my dear lady, you know very well. To inquire into the death of Mrs. McGinty. I know that's what you say. But nobody believes it. But I assure you it is the simple truth. So you won't tell me? There is nothing to tell. I wanted to ask you about anonymous letters. Yes, Mrs. Renton. They're really always lies, aren't they? Well, they are sometimes lies, madame. But you wouldn't ever believe what was said in one, would you? Well, that is a very difficult question. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever believe anything of that kind. I know why you're here. I know what you're thinking, and it isn't true, I tell you. It isn't true. And she walked rapidly away. What did it mean? Did it have something to do with the murder, or was she simply leading me up the garden walk? The sun went in, and the spring day faded. I went back into Long Meadows, preoccupied with a question which Superintendent Spence had not solved, and which I had neglected. What had become of the instrument with which Mrs. McGinty had been killed? And then I noticed, on top of the bookcase, a curious object 
of ornamental brass decorated with colored stones, with a little bird with turquoise eyes. And instantly I knew that this must be the murder weapon. It was shaped like an adze, with a sharp cutting edge. What are you doing with the sugar cutter, Mr. Forrest? Oh, is that what it is? A sugar cutter? Sugar cutter, sugar hammer. I don't know what it's actually called. It looks a bit silly with that funny little bird on top, but you could do quite a bit of damage with it. I always tell Johnny that'll be what's coming to him if he misbehaves himself. And did you bring it back with you from India? Oh, no, I got it at the B&B at Christmas. The B&B? Bring and buy sale at the vicarage. You bring something you don't want and you buy something else. Oh. The Weatherby said it came from Baghdad. It came from the Weatherby's house? Yes, they've got the most frightful lot of junk. But I must go and see how the pudding is getting on. I carried the sugar hammer up to my room and packed it up to send to Superintendent Spence. Amid the chaos of long meadows, no one would ever miss it. And then I walked over to the Weatherby's house. Oh, it's you. Uh, may I come in and speak to you? I suppose so. Thank you. We're all over the place today. Our German girl has given notice. Seems she only took the job because there was somebody over here she wanted to marry. She's leaving tomorrow. Ha, ha. It is, alas, not an age of consideration. My stepfather says it isn't legal. Mm. But there's not a thing we can do about it. Do sit down. Uh, Thank you. What was it you wanted? I wish to ask you about a sugar hammer. A sugar hammer? Hmm, an instrument of brass with a little bird on top of it. Oh, yes, I know. I understand it came from this house. Yes. My mother bought it at the bazaar in Baghdad. It was one of the things we took to the bring and buy. So it was here in this house until Christmas, and then you sent it to the sale at the vicarage? No, it wasn't the Christmas B&B. It was the one at Harvest Festival. Oh, and that would have been when, mademoiselle? The end of September. You are quite sure of that? Quite sure, Monsieur Poirot. Mrs. McGinty had been killed in November. So who was right? Had the sugar hammer been at the Weatherby's at the time of the murder, or at Long Meadows? But what chiefly intrigued me was Deirdre Henderson's total lack of interest. Why had she not asked me why I wanted to know? You know, Ariadne, I don't feel in the mood to talk about the play today. Too much gin at the party last night, I expect. <laughs> yes, the drinks were flowing pretty freely. Perhaps we should think about casting. If we could get Dennis Callery, of course, it would be marvellous, but he's tied up on some film. But I've had the most wonderful brainwave about Eric. Cecil Leach. He's playing at the little rep in Cullenkey tonight. We could drive over there and see him. What do you think? What a very good idea, yes. I'd love to. As I walked back down the drive from Hunter's Close, I wondered what mysteries lay hidden in that unhappy house. I remembered Mrs. Weatherby's room, strewn with knick-knacks and mementos. Could that have been where Mrs. McGinty had seen the photograph that had sent her to her death? What I needed was a spy to penetrate those suffocating, ivy-clad walls. 
Monsieur Poirot, someone called Maud Williams rang while you were out. I wrote the number down on my ration book. Oh, thank you, madame. You permit that I uh, use your telephone? Oh, feel free. Breather and scuttle. May I speak to Maud Williams, please? Speaking. This is Hercule Poirot. I believe you rang me. Oh, yes. It's about the property you were asking about the other day. Can we do anything in the matter for you? Do you still wish to help James Bentley? Yes. Would you resign your present post? Oh, yes. And take on a domestic post immediately with people who are not very sympathetic? It would mean living in. Oh, yes, I think that might be managed. You can cook? Very well, as it happens. Oh, bon Dieu, what a rarity. I will come to Kilchester at once. I will meet you at the same cafe where we met before. Thank you very much. I'll put that in hand straight away. Oh, madame, I regret that I shall not be in to lunch. I have to go into Kilchester. Oh, goodness for that. I've completely forgotten the pudding and it's boiled dry. Oh, I'm sure it's quite all right, really. Just a little scorched. Oh, but I thought I'd better open a bottle of the raspberries I put up last summer, just in case. They've got a bit of mould on top, but they say nowadays that doesn't matter. After all, that's what penicillin is, isn't it? But it's Janet's night off, Robin. Oh, well, of course, I should know. You never remember anything when you're working on a play. Oh, Madre, I'm so terribly sorry. It went right out of my mind. It doesn't really matter. Of course it does. I'll ring them up and tell them we'll go tomorrow night. You'll do nothing of the sort. I don't want to upset Mrs. Oliver. You go off and enjoy yourselves. I thought of someone I'll ask to keep me company. Who's that? That's my secret. And now stop fretting about it all, Robin. And so the Weatherbys will be expecting you tomorrow. Do you understand what it is you have to look out for? Yes, I've got a pretty good idea. And does anyone know you're in Baratini? I've been over there on business once or twice. And whom did you see? A Mrs. Carstairs. She was staying at the place where you are. Long Meadows. And did you see Mrs. Summerhays or her husband? I saw her, but she's too scatterbrained to remember me. And I saw James Bentley, of course. By accident? No, I'd sent him a postcard telling him I'd be coming that day. Not that there was anywhere we could go. We just talked at the bus stop before I went back to Kilchester. And you spoke to no one else in Brodini? Well, only Robin Upwood. I've heard him talk on the wireless. I spotted him coming out of his cottage and asked him for his autograph. He was ever so nice about it, particularly as I'd only got an odd sheet of notepaper. Good. Now, I would like you to look at these photographs. Mm. All these pictures appeared in the Sandy Comet the weekend before Mrs. McGinty was killed. And you think they've got something to do with it? Yes, mademoiselle. Now, here is the article that went with the photographs. Um, where are these women now? You think one of them may be living in Broadhinney? It is possible. Eva Kane will be quite old by now, in her 60s. You've heard of the Craig case? <laughs> Who hasn't? He was in Madame Tussauds. I don't suppose that murder will ever be forgotten, do you? Sorry to keep you waiting, Ariane. But I thought I really had to have another word with the Madre before we left. And all was well? Oh, yes. She'd just put the telephone down, but the wicked old thing wouldn't tell me who she'd been ringing up. Even so, I bet I know. Yes, I know too. So, who do you say it was? Hercule Poirot. Yes, that's my guess too. She's going to pump him. <laughs> but she does like to have her little secret. Well, let's be off.
I'm sure you're going to enjoy the play enormously. I'm sure I shall. But it's important that you tell me exactly what you think of Cecil Leach and whether he's your idea of Eric. I do want you to be happy about him. So, what did you think? Oh, I loved it. Great fun. No, I mean, what did you think of Cecil? But he's nothing like Eric at all. Not even remotely. He's a very good actor, of course. Well, let's go round and have a word with him. Oh, oh do we really have to? I, I have an absolute horror of bearding actors in their dressing rooms. I never know what to say. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. You won't be expected to say anything. But I'll tell you what. I'll get Michael to look after you. He's the one playing the doctor. I happen to know he's a great admirer of yours. Oh, We've been trying to get Robin to come over and see the show for absolutely ages, but of course he's completely under that terrible woman's thumb, isn't he? Dancing attendance on her all the time. Well, I suppose she really I've known need... Robin for years, and he's far too brilliant to be sacrificed on the matriarchal altar. I mean, just look at what she did to poor Alex Roscoff. Oh, I, I don't think she I... She over I... him for nearly a year. Couldn't do enough for him. And then she discovered he wasn't a Russian emigre at all. Oh, really? Of course, Alex had been telling some pretty tall stories. It was rather naughty of him. But then, when she discovered he was only the son of a little tailor in the East End, she dropped him and turfed him out. How oh, very unfortunate. Mind you, I think the poor boy was quite relieved to get away. He said she could be quite frightening sometimes. What stories are you telling Ariadne? Right? Oh, we're just talking about your wonderful Madre. It's such a shame she couldn't come over tonight. It's time we were getting back to her, I think. If you don't mind me dragging you away, Ariadne. Not at all. It's been a joy to meet you, Mrs. Oliver. Quite marvellous. And thank you for all those simply delicious murders. I do hope the evening hasn't tired you too much, Ariadne. No, not at all. The truth is, I'm not very good with people. But surely you must be interested in them. What about all the characters in your book? Oh, that's different. When it comes to the real thing, I, I much prefer trees. I think they're nicer than people. More restful. Oh. I do hope the Madre hasn't been sitting up for us. It's quite late. Oh. You go in while I put the car away. The front door won't be locked. She's oh, turned all the lights out. Not very welcoming, oh. Where on earth is the switch? Ah. Strange smell and very expensive scent. Mrs. Upward? She must have fallen asleep. something the matter. No, no. No, don't go in there, Robin. Your mother's dead. I think someone's killed her. Senseless brutality. Strangled with one of her own silk scarves. Quick and efficient. Especially where the victim is quite unsuspicious. Which suggests it was someone she knew. They were having coffee together. Prince had been wiped off the guest's cup but there were distinct traces of lipstick. Yes, a woman was indicated. It obviously ties up with the McGinty murder. She recognises the photograph of Lily Gamble, and she takes advantage of her son and Mrs Oliver being away at the theatre to ring up the person concerned and ask her to come and see her. I fear she did not realise that what she was doing might be dangerous. So many people think of murder as a game. It is not a game. 
I told her so, but she would not listen. It all ties in, of course. Robin Upward said that when he went to say goodbye to his mother, she had just finished telephoning somebody, but she wouldn't tell him who it was. Mm. Come in. I hope I'm not intruding, but your sergeant said I should see you straight away. Is it something to do with last night, with Mrs. Upward? Yes. Is it true she was murdered? It's true, Miss Henderson. What is it you wanted to say? I was here. Here? Yes. At what time? Oh, I don't know exactly. Between half past eight and nine. She telephoned me, you see. You spoke to her? No. The German girl took the message. She said she would be all alone because her son and Mrs. Oliver had gone out and would I come and have coffee with her. And you saw her? No, I didn't. I knocked, but there was no answer. It was quite dark and there was no light in the sitting room. I called out, but no one replied. I thought our maid must have made a mistake. So what did you do? I just went away. Back home? I went for a bit of a walk first. It was quite fine. Well, thank you, Miss Henderson. You were quite right to come and see us. Thank you, mademoiselle. Thank you. <clears throat> no lipstick. Or is that only this morning? No. She never uses it. No scent either. Mm. Mrs. Oliver said there was a distinct smell of scent. And not the kind Mrs. Upward used. I do not think Miss Henderson would use scent. Looks like the hockey captain of an old-fashioned girls' school. She's the right age for Lily Gamble. But she's got a perfectly good mother. Lily Gamble's mother was killed in a drunken brawl. Have you established the time of Mrs. Upward's death? All the police surgeon will say is that she was probably dead by half-past nine. So she may have been dead when Deirdre Henderson arrived. Probably. What we need to find out is where Mrs. Rendell and Mrs. Carpenter were at the time. Neither mm, of them could afford expensive scent. Oh, by the way, we're pretty sure the sugar hammer was the weapon used in Mrs. McGinty's murder. Ah. There are traces of human blood on it. So, did Mrs. Summerhays buy it at Christmas or at Harvest Festival? I do not know whether it matters so very much. How's that? At Long Meadows, the doors and windows are always open. Anyone could come in and take something away and put it back later, and neither Major Summerhays nor his wife would ever notice. They neither of them observed the absence of the sugar hammer. Well, there's one good thing. They won't hang James Bentley until all this is cleared up. And that gives us what we've been short of. Time. Yes. And now we know a little more. I think I would like to see James Bentley for myself. None of it will do any good. What's the use? Your friends are working very hard on your behalf. My friends? I have no friends. You have at least two friends. And who might they be? First, there is Superintendent Spence. He's no friend to me. He's the one who put me in here. Who's the other one supposed to be? Maud Williams. Who's she? She worked in the offices of Breather and Scuttle. Oh, oh, that Maud Williams... What's it got to do with her? She is convinced you are innocent. I don't see what she can know about it. She knows you. You worked together at the office, did you not? You had meals together. Yes, once or twice. Oh, ma foi, is it a crime that I seek to drag from you? To keep the company of a pretty girl? Is it not natural? Well, you see, I've never had much to do with girls. 
She wasn't quite what you would call a lady. I couldn't help feeling that Mother would have thought her common. But it is what you think that matters. You found her sympathetic? She was always very kind. She met you once in Broadhinny, I understand. Yes. She said she was going over on business. She sent me a postcard. But you did meet her? Yes. I didn't want to be rude. And you took her to the pictures or a meal? N nothing of that kind. We just chatted while she was waiting for her bus. <sighs> well, let us talk about something else. Mrs. McGinty took the Sandy Comet. Did you ever read it? <laughs> she used to offer it to me sometimes, but I never looked at it. Mother didn't care for that kind of paper. Did Mrs. McGinty ever speak to you about anything she read in it? Oh, yes, she did. On the Sunday before she died, she was full of it. Ah, and what did she say? Now, be careful. This is very important. It was all about some old murder case. Craig, I think it was. Anyway, she said someone connected with the case was living in Broadhenny. Did she say who it was? I think it was that woman whose son writes plays. Did she mention her my name? I don't know. It's so long ago. Now think. What did Mrs. McGinty say? Well, something like, so pleased with herself and so proud. Not so much to be proud of, if all's known. And what makes you so sure it was Mrs. Upward of whom she was speaking? Uh, I really don't know. I just formed that impression. Ah, oh, mon Dieu. It is preposterous to reflect that if you are hanged, it will be because you do not pay proper attention to what is said to you. And did Mrs. McGinty ever speak to you of Mrs. Carpenter? Uh, Mrs. Selkirk, as she was then, or, or uh, Mrs. Randall? She was always very down on Mrs. Selkirk. I don't know why. Jumped up is what she used to call her. And the Rentals? He's the doctor, isn't he? Mm -hmm. I don't remember her saying anything particular about them. What about the Weatherbys? She said she had no patience with her fusses and fancies. It was an unhappy house, she said. And did she never say anything particular about Miss Henderson? Not that I remember. Her dog got caught in a trap. I helped her get it out. You talked together? Yes. She said her mother suffered a lot. She was very fond of her mother. And did you talk about yours? Yes, I did. I don't think she was very happy, Miss Henderson. Not a very pretty girl, I understand. I thought she was rather good-looking. I liked her. Not so much to be proud of, if all's known. Did he say who Mrs. McGinty was referring to? Bentley thought it might have been Mrs. Upward, but he was very uncertain about it. He was very uncertain about everything. But it couldn't have been Mrs. Upward, because Mrs. Upward's dead. Dead for the same reason as Mrs. McGinty, because she recognised a photograph. I tried to warn her. A photo of Lily Gamble. And there are only two possibilities, Mrs. Rendell and Mrs. Carpenter. I don't count the Henderson girl... She's got a background. And the others have not? You know how things are nowadays. The war stirred up everyone and everything, and it transformed little villages like Broadhinny. The only people we really know anything about are the Summerhays family, 
who've been there for three centuries. All the rest have no real background. Mrs. Rendell comes from somewhere outside Dublin. Eve Selkirk, before she met Carpenter, was a pretty war widow. And anyone can be a war widow. Tell me, why do people keep photographs? Goodness knows. Why do people keep all sorts of things? Because they remind them of things, I suppose. Exactly. A woman might keep a photograph of herself because it reminds her of what a pretty girl she once was. And people keep photos out of sentiment. A picture of your married daughter when she was a child, naked on the hearthrug. But who would have wanted to keep that picture of Lily Gamble, with her ugly teeth and thick spectacles? Well, somebody must have done, because Mrs. Upward had seen it. Mm, had she? Dash it all. It was you who told me. She said so herself. Yes, 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 she said so. But the late Mrs. Upward was in some ways a very secretive woman. She looked at all the photographs, and it was evident she recognized one of them. But, for her own reasons, she decided to keep that to herself. And being very quick-witted, she deliberately pointed to the wrong picture. Are you really serious? I have never been more so. Her curiosity was aroused, and she wanted to have a private talk with the person she associated with that photograph. And when her son and Mrs. Oliver went off to the theater... She seized that opportunity. And she sent for Deirdre Henderson. That puts her right back in the picture. You do like to make things difficult for yourself, don't you, Monsieur Poirot? I had arranged to meet Maud Williams at the Three Ducks to report on her first day with the Weatherbys. We found a quiet corner to ourselves, although it was most unlikely that the Weatherbys would ever have ventured in there. All I can say is that I hope I don't have to stay there for too long. The Weatherbys really are a very nasty couple, and I feel terribly sorry for poor Deirdre. When did you arrive there? Oh, I haven't wasted any time. I got there last night. Last night? Yes. Mrs. Weatherby had gone to bed, and Mr. Frostyface had locked himself away in his study. He seems to spend all his time there. And Miss Henderson? She went out. Did she say where she was going? To keep Mrs. Upward company, she said, but she couldn't find anyone about. I gather Mrs. Upward's been murdered. Yes, mademoiselle. She has been murdered. Mrs. Weatherby got very hysterical about it. It must have been a nasty tramp, she said, and gave me a long lecture on keeping all the doors and windows locked. All Mr. Weatherby wanted to know was who got the money. But I'll tell you one thing. What is that? Mrs. Weatherby isn't as fragile as she makes out. She was down at the post office first thing this morning. She can get about when she wants to. And when she came back, she accused me of going through her things. And had you been doing so? Of course. That's what you wanted me to do, isn't it? And she told me I was wearing too much makeup. If she's going to go on like this all the time, I shall be strongly tempted to lace her eggnog with arsenic. Superintendent Spence is here, Monsieur Poirot. He said he'd like a quick word with you. Oh, then, if you would be so kind as to show him in, Mrs. Summerhays. Of course. Would you care to go in, Superintendent? Thank you. I thought I'd better come round right away. What has happened? We've got new evidence. The girl who works in the post office, Edna, Mrs. Sweetman, brought her in and made her tell us what she'd seen. And what did she see? On the night of Mrs. Upward's murder... She was waiting around for a boyfriend outside Laburnum's, and she saw a woman go in there. What time was this? Sometime after half-past eight and before nine o'clock. But it wasn't Deirdre Henderson. It was a woman in her thirties with fair hair, 
so we can forget your idea about Mrs. Upward deliberately leading us up the garden path by pointing to the wrong photo. We're right back where we were. Both Eve Carpenter and Sheila Rendell have fair hair. It's definitely between the two of them. The only question is, which one of them was it? Mrs. McGinty had been killed because she had recognized one of the photographs in an article in a Sunday paper about women who had been associated with murder, and Mrs. Upward had been strangled for the same reason. It seemed likely that one of the women mentioned in the article was living in Brontini, but which of them was it? quiet and solitude in which to exercise my little grey cells, but these were not to be found at Long Meadows. To the banging doors and squawking hens had been added the incessant hammering of an old typewriter. Robin Upward had taken over one of the first-floor rooms as his office. I just can't concentrate at home. I've already torn up three drafts of the script, but I must keep at it. I know the Madre would have wanted me to go on with my work. I can't find a minivac form anywhere. Uh, you have left a calendar of spinach on the sofa. The form only came last week and I must have put it down somewhere. Perhaps it was when I was darning that pullover of Johnny's. Or have I put it away in the bureau? Ah! Oh, here it is! Thank goodness for that. Sorry to have disturbed you. I have a horror of untidiness. It offends my mind. I could not bear to sit with the confusion she had left, and so I began to put back the letters and the socks and the magazines and the photographs into the bureau. Longmeadows? We're back where we started. It looks as though you might have been right about Mrs. Upward deliberately pointing to the photograph of Lily Gamble to put you off the scent when, in fact... It was another picture she had recognized. Why? What has happened? I told one of my sergeants to go through everything at the Burnham's with a fine tooth comb. I thought there might be a secret drawer in Mrs. Upward's desk. And was there? No, there wasn't. But then he started to go through the shelves, and he came across a book published about ten years ago. And on the flyleaf, written in pencil, was the name Evelyn Hope. The name Eva Kane took when she left England? Exactly. So what was Mrs. Upward doing with it? Does that mean she was Eva Kane? But if that's the case, why was she murdered? I leave you to chew over that little problem. Perhaps we could meet later in the day. If Mrs. Upward had killed Mrs. McGinty, did that mean there was another murderer at work in Bratini? It simply did not make sense. Hello, Long Meadows? Monsieur Poirot, this is Maud Williams. Can you meet me at the post office in a quarter of an hour? Maud Williams was looking at the knitting patterns. I bought a book of stamps, and we left together. <laughs> I fear that Mrs. Sweetman can only have thought the worst about evil old men from the continent. I don't know whether it's got anything to do with anything, but there was somebody trying to get in at the window of the Weatherby's bedroom this morning. When was this? About eleven o'clock. Her ladyship had gone out, and Deirdre was exercising the dog. Old Frozen Face was locked up in his study as usual. It seemed a good opportunity for me to have a bit of a snoop round. Most commendable. Go on. So I nipped upstairs into their bedroom. There was a ladder up against the window, and somebody was fumbling with the catch. Mrs. Weatherby's had everything locked and barred ever since Mrs. Upward's murder. When the man saw me, he scuttled down and made off. Can you describe him? 
Oh, I only got the briefest glimpse. By the time I got to the window, he was down the ladder and gone. You're sure it was a man? All I noticed was an old felt hat. It could have been a woman, I suppose. Evelyn Hope. What did you say? No, no, I, I, I was speaking to myself. You said Evelyn Hope. That's the name Eva Kane took when she went abroad. It, it was in the Sunday Comet. No, mademoiselle, it was not in the Sunday Comet. The police have found the name written in a book at Mrs. Upwood's house. Then Michael was right. She didn't die out there after all. Michael? I, I can't stop. I've left the lunch on the stove. It'll be getting dried up. Oh, thank goodness you're back. Mrs. Carpenter's come to see you. She's been waiting in the drawing room for ages. Look here. You're a private detective. I want to hire you. Mon Dieu, madame, I am not a taxi cab. <sighs> the police seem to think I killed Mrs. Upwood. And I wasn't even there. I was just sitting at home listening to the radio. I didn't even take the call. It was the butler. And what was this call? <sighs> Mrs. Upwood wanted me to go round the night she was killed. And did you go? Why should I waste my time talking to that dreary old woman? Why should I go and hold her hand? Can you prove you were not there? <sighs> That's just it. I can't. Guy was out at some ghastly political meeting. Oh, you've got to help me. I regret that in this affair I act for James Bentley. But if you are innocent, you have nothing to fear. Sorry, lunch is late, but I can't find the scissors. I've got three pairs and they've all vanished. Did I leave them in the bureau by any chance? And once again, all the drawers were pulled open and their contents emptied onto the floor. Won't be long now, Monsieur Poirot. And so, once again, I set to work to put everything back into the bureau. But then, I came across something that had not been there before. It was a photograph. I knew I had reached the turning point of the case. I hurried up to my room with it before Mrs. Summerhays found that she had lost something else. 251, Mrs. Rendell speaking. It is Hercule Poirot, madame, and I wish to ask you a question. Yes? What is it? Did Mrs. Upward telephone you on the night of her death? Yes, she did. How on earth do you know that? At what time? About six o'clock, I think. The housekeeper took the call. Apparently Robin and Mrs. Oliver were going to the theatre, and she wanted to know if I would go round and keep her company. And did you go? I meant to. I really did. But I fell asleep after dinner and I didn't wake up till ten o'clock. Did you tell the police about the call? No, I didn't. Should I have done? You see, I couldn't help feeling that if I had gone round, she might still be alive. I felt quite ghastly about it. Our latest information from Australia is that the Evelyn Hope in question died out there 20 years ago. But she may have arranged a convenient death for herself and returned to England under another name. You mean she came back and married a wealthy car manufacturer called Upward? And she kept an old photograph of herself, which Mrs. McGinty happened to come across. But we keep coming back to the same problem. If Mrs. Upward was Evelyn Hope... Evelyn Hope. That is the key to the problem. When Eva Kane left this country at the time of Craig's execution, she was expecting a child. Now, did she call that child Evelyn Hope, I wonder? It's perfectly possible, I suppose, but... Uh... Evelyn Hope. Oh, mon Dieu, of course. Oh, how criminally stupid I have been. The whole thing is so simple. 
It may seem simple to you, Poirot, but to us lesser mortals... I must speak to Mrs. Oliver. She's gone to London for the night and won't be back till tomorrow. Then I must pay a visit to the theatre at Cullen Key. Well, what's that got to do with anything? I must speak to an actor called Michael. I only hope it is the same one. And then? If I find what I hope I shall find, then I would like to organize a little um, reunion at Long Meadows to bring together everyone associated with the mystery. I believe that we are very near the solution, my friend. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Down on one knee, just like I. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Holding her hand out, just like I. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Like this. Do you remember that game? Some of you may have played it as children. Mrs. Upward repeated it to me but with a difference. Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Sticking her neck out, just like I. That is what she said, and that is what she did. She stuck her neck out, and she, like Mrs. McGinty, died. Sir, can we take it, Monsieur Poirot, that James Bentley is not the murderer? It was to supply the answer to that question, Major Summer Hayes, that Superintendent Spence asked me to investigate the case, to find out how Mrs. McGinty died and why. And did you find the answer? Ah, uh -uh, you must be patient, Mr. Carpenter. In the Sunday Comet, which Mrs. McGinty read on the weekend before her death, four photographs of women linked to celebrated murder cases were published, and Mrs. McGinty recognized one of them. She had seen it in one of the houses where she worked. Now, as you probably all know, I produced these four photographs at Mrs. Upwood's house. I caught a flicker of surprise and recognition on her face. And she admitted she had seen one of them before. And when I asked her which photograph, she pointed to the one of the child murderess, Lily Gamble. But that, let me tell you, was not the truth. Mrs. Upwood wished to keep what she had seen to herself. She pointed to the wrong photograph. But one person was not deceived, the murderer. That person knew which photograph Mrs. Upwood had recognized. So whose photograph was it? It was that of Eva Kane, the woman who was the accomplice, perhaps even the guiding hand, in the famous... Craig murder case. On the next evening, Mrs. Upward was killed, but three women had received calls from her asking them to come and see her. Mrs. Carpenter, Mrs. Randall, and Miss Henderson. Now, why these three? Had they anything in common? Nothing, except their age. The article in the Sunday Comet mentioned, in terms of sugary sentiment, the daughter of Eva Kane, and the three women, invited by Mrs. Upward, were all of the right age to be that daughter. Oh, but this is preposterous. Now, patience, I beg you, Mr. Carpenter. Let us consider the three women Mrs. Upward invited to her house that evening. But I didn't go. I had other things to do. I meant to go, but I fell asleep in my chair. But Miss Henderson did go. 
She found the house in darkness and could not make anyone hear. That is the story that these three women tell. But there is evidence to contradict it. On the table, where Mrs. Upper took coffee with her visitor, there were two cups. One of them Mrs. Upwards, and another with distinct traces of lipstick. And an outside witness has stated positively that she saw a fair-haired woman go into the house that night. And there is evidence of scent, an expensive and exotic scent, which Mrs. Oliver noticed when she went into the house that night and discovered the body of Mrs. Upward. It was quite unmistakable. And does anyone in Broadhinney use that scent? I believe Mrs. Carpenter does. It's a lie. I never went anywhere near the place. Guy, can't you stop this? Let me remind you, Mr. Poirot, there is a law of slander in this country. Is it slander to say that your wife uses a certain scent? And also, let me tell you, a certain lipstick? Oh, but this is ridiculous. Anybody could go sloshing my scent about. Maybe, exactly, anyone could. But it set me thinking. Scent. And a trace of lipstick. Was it a deliberate attempt to make it look like a woman's murder? And then I reflected on the telephone calls to these three women. I never spoke to Mrs. Upwood herself. The butler took the call. And I had a message from the housekeeper. And Miss Henderson only heard about the call from the German maid. You mean it may not have been Mrs. Upwood who actually telephoned? Precisely. The object of the calls was to involve a woman, any woman, in the crime. But why? There could be only one answer, because it was not a woman who killed Mrs. Upward, but a man. Of course. Why couldn't I see that? So, I arrived at this point. A man killed both Mrs. McGinty and Mrs. Upward, and there could be only one reason for the murders. The photograph that both of them had seen. But why was it kept? For sentimental reasons, perhaps. After Mrs. McGinty had been disposed of, it was no longer dangerous. But after Mrs. Upward's death, it was a damning piece of evidence. And yet it was not destroyed. I have it here. Where did you find it? I found it in this house. It was in a drawer of that bureau. Who is it? It is Eva Kane. And shall I tell you what is written on the back of it? My mother. What? But I don't understand. I, I you have mean... no feeling of guilt, Mrs. Summerhays. You knew of no reason why you should not keep the photograph. You told us yourself you were an adopted child. I doubt whether you ever knew the name of the woman in the photograph, but somebody else knew, somebody who can trace his family back three hundred years, someone who would do anything to prevent the world knowing that his wife was the daughter of the murderer Craig and of Eva Kane. You're talking nonsense, saying foul things about my wife, you filthy little... Carry on, Major Summerhays. Let him finish. Utterly ridiculous. Anyone can stick a photo in a drawer. I've never laid eyes on that picture in my life. No, Mrs. Summerhays, because it was put into that drawer only a short time before I found it. And I know by whom. In Mrs. Upwood's house, there was found a book with a name written on the flyleaf, Evelyn Hope. The name Eva Kane took when she left England and which she gave to her child when it was born. 
The Sunday Comet assumed that the child was a girl, but Evelyn is also a man's name, and Eva Cain's child is a man. <laughs> Evelyn Hope came to England. He was brilliantly talented and attracted the attention of a rich woman who knew nothing about his origins. He spun her a romantic tale about his mother, a tragic young ballerina dying of consumption in Paris. The woman adopted him, and he took her name by deed poll. But your real name is Evelyn Hope, is it not? Mr. Upward? <laughs> of course it isn't. I, I haven't the faintest idea what you're going on about. Have you not? There are people who know you as Evelyn Hope. The name written in the book is in your handwriting, as are the words, My Mother, on the photograph. Mrs. McGinty saw that photograph and what was written on it and spoke to you about it after reading the Sunday Comet. She assumed it was a picture of Mrs. Upward when young, since she had no idea that Mrs. Upward was not your real mother. But you knew that if it should ever reach Mrs. Upward that you were the son, not of a ballerina, but a murderess, your world would come tumbling about your ears. So... The next evening, you called on Mrs. McGinty on the way to your broadcasting coolport. You brought out this sugar hammer, and you killed her like this. No, no, I didn't. It was an accident. I didn't mean to kill her. And Mrs. Upward, your beloved madre, did you not mean to kill her either? I, I wanted to spare her the knowledge of who I really was. I, I, I thought it was better for her to die rather than know the truth. But she already knew the truth, Mr. Upward. You didn't want her to cut you out of her fault. No, no, it wasn't like that at all. It, it was a terrible mistake. A mistake, was it, Mr. Upward? And anyway, if I did do it, it's not my fault. I, I couldn't help it. It's in my blood. My mother was a murderess. You can't hang me for something that isn't my fault. You see if we can't. Mr. Upward, I must warn you that anything you, you say... You can't. I never meant to kill them. I couldn't help it. At least I shall be spared the horror of that terrible travesty of my poor book being put on stage. But why on earth did the silly creature try to hide that photograph in the Summer Hayes Bureau? Surely that was a very stupid thing to do. He had hoped to use it to incriminate Deirdre Henderson. After all, she had been at Mrs. Upward's house on the night of the murder. He tried to climb into the Weatherby's house, hoping to plant it in her room. But your friend, Miss... whatever her name is, caught sight of him. Mm, he panicked and ran back to Long Meadows, but he knew that I might return at any minute. He hid the picture in the first place he could think of. <laughs> it was sheer bad luck for him that I came across it and that I knew it had not been there an hour earlier. It was obvious to me only one person could have put it there, and that person was hammering away on his typewriter just above my head. And so you dashed off to Cullen Key to have a word with that actor, Michael. I, I never caught what his name was. Maud Williams had also mentioned the name Michael. He had known Robin Upward when he first came to England, and I was sure that he would be able to confirm that Upward's real name was Evelyn Hope. Mm. Of course, when you come to think of it, there was something very unnatural about his attitude to Mrs. Upward. Exactly. The attitude not of a son to his mother, but of a protégé to his patron. Uh, and calling her Madre all the time. But 
What I find really hard to come to terms with is that Robin murdered Mrs. Upward while I was sitting out of the car waiting for him. I wouldn't have thought he could have done it in the time, particularly putting Eve Carpenter's lipstick on the cup and spraying the room with her scent. Oh, madame, of course there was time, and he had prepared everything beforehand. I mean, think how swiftly a stage can be reset between scenes. Mm. Good theatre, I suppose. Oh, he was a master of illusion. After all, he killed Mrs. McGinty on his way to a broadcasting coalport, and no one suspected him because they had heard his voice on the radio that night, but he had ample time in which to do both. Mm. Even so, there I was sitting in his car while he was strangling Mrs. Upward, and I hadn't the least idea... I am afraid, chère madame, that your woman's intuition was taking a day off. Mm, but I was right about Dr. Rendell. Right in what way, madame? About his being a murderer. <laughs> you ask your friend Superintendent Spence when you see him again. We are to have dinner together as soon as I return to London. But there is a little unfinished business I must attend to first. I couldn't wait to get away from the Weatherbys. I can't tell you how much satisfaction it gave me to tell that stuck-up old woman I wouldn't be coming back and that she'd have to mix her own eggnog. So, will you be returning to Breather and Scuttle? Oh, not on your life. They're a hopeless outfit. And they have served their purpose. What do you mean by that? I have been very discreet, mademoiselle, but I believe that the fair-haired woman who was seen going into Mrs. Upwood's house on the night of the murder was you. What makes you think that? Why did you come to this part of the world in the first place? Why, when you went to Brodhini, did you ask Robin upward for his autograph? You are not the autograph hunter type. When I casually dropped the name of Evelyn Hope into our conversation, how did you know it was the name assumed by Eva Kane? I've nothing to hide, Monsieur Poirot. Eva Kane killed my mother. Mm-hmm. I thought that might be the case. Then your real name is Craig. I was brought up by my mother's cousin. I always suspected my father had taken the rap for a murder that was actually committed by Eva Kane. When I was grown up, I got a detective agency onto it. They told me Eva Kane had died out in Australia, but had left a son who called himself Evelyn Hope. So how did you trace him to Brodhini? I got pally with an actor called Michael West, who was a great admirer of his. He told me that Hope was writing plays under the name of Robin Upward, and he pointed him out to me one evening in the theatre. He was with his mother, and I jumped to the conclusion that she was Eva Kane, and that she wasn't dead after all. And that was why you were so keen to help me. Well, I was convinced that Mrs. Upward had killed Mrs. McGinty, and when I heard from Deidre Henderson that Robin and Mrs. Oliver were going out for the evening, I thought I would pay a call on the woman I believed to be Eva Kane. I don't know quite what I had in mind... To frighten her, perhaps. Oh, go on, mademoiselle. The door wasn't locked, so I walked in. She was sitting there, dead, her face all purple and swollen. All the ideas I'd had in my head seemed silly and melodramatic. So I left. That's all. So what are you going to do about it, Monsieur Poirot? Nothing at all. Now you can put it all behind you. I wish you good fortune in life, mademoiselle. Not bad grub they do here. Not bad at all. I'm glad you enjoyed it. 
I had been dining here on the night you first came to talk to me about James Bentley. And now we've really got something to celebrate. Not a bad spot of brandy, either. You know, Poirot, I don't think I've ever known a case where so many people had something to hide. Ah, you are thinking of Mrs. Carpenter, perhaps. Well, if ever a woman really acted guilty, she did. And what for? Eh bien, what for? Tell me. Just the usual business of a rather unsavoury past she didn't want to come to light. She'd been a taxi dancer. Come on. A lively girl with plenty of men friends. And she wasn't a war widow when she turned up in Broad Hinney. Only what you might describe as an unofficial wife. And that would never have done for the wife of a prospective member of parliament. It certainly wouldn't. As she was frantic, the whole thing would come to light. And what about the Randalls? Mrs. Oliver tells me you have proof that he is a murderer. I wouldn't put it quite like that. It seems that when his first wife died, he had a practice in Leeds. The police got some very nasty anonymous letters saying he'd poisoned her. There really wasn't very much to go on except that her life had been insured in his favour. Mm, I suspect it was not only the police who received the anonymous letters. Oh, how do you mean? Mrs. Randall seemed to have an obsession about them, and she was frightened that my investigation was a pretext for finding out about her husband. And he must have thought so, too. I have a strong suspicion that it was Dr. Randall who tried to push me under the train. You'd have a job to prove it. But we'll keep an eye on him. I think his wife would be wise not to ensure her life in his favour. Um, another brandy, perhaps. Can't think of any reason why not. Uh, Jules. At once, Monsieur Poirot. So, what's to become of James Bentley? He's a poor stick. Mm, at the moment, he seems positively aggrieved that he is not going to be hanged. What's to become of him? I trust that he will be saved by the love of a good woman. You mean your friend, Maud Williams? Oh, no, no, no. No, I fear she has far too much vitality for him. I think that Deirdre Henderson would be a better choice. You'd have a job prizing her away from that poison puss mother of hers? I trust to the power of love. Success is always on the side of the big battalions. On the side of the big moustaches, I suppose you mean. <laughs> <laughs> your cognac, monsieur. Ah, thank you, Jules. Well... I hope our splendid grub tonight has made up for all those terrible meals you had to suffer at Long Meadows. Ah, now I think I may have affected a little conversion there, my friend. How do you mean? Before I left, I gave Mrs. Summerhays a lesson on how to prepare an omelette, and she proved a surprisingly apt pupil. And I have sent her a very elementary cookery book, I have high hopes. Then, here's to bon cuisine. Is that how you put it, Monsieur Poirot? Quite right, Superintendent. A la bonne cuisine. And may Mrs. Summerhays come to understand its supreme pleasures.